If you can stand, <laughs> we again. Uh, we'll go ahead and read our scriptures. So, um, scripture is coming from 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, I'm going to read 1 through 14. Now, about the collection uh, for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money to keep with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve, and I'll send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to it that nothing uh, to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now, about your uh, brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go with, uh, with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. You may be seated. Good morning. Thank you, Marley. We decided to, uh, to stick Marley with the job of breaking in our first Sunday as when we do the prayer uh, concerns differently. But thank you, Marley, for, uh, for doing that for us this morning, for leading us into worship. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, the sign-up sheet is still out there for uh, lightning Lighting the Darkness by Reading God's Word. Um, I was happy to see this morning we're up over 40. Um, I hope some more will, will sign up for that. Again, it's simply reading through the New Testament uh, during the, the coming year. One chapter per weekday. I, I usually say that wrong. One chapter per weekday is all you need to do. Uh, if you, there's, there are reading guides that were put in your mailbox. There are extra ones out there that you can use in reading through that so that we're in the same page, on the same page. And uh, if you use the reading guides, rather than reading straight through, you'll read one gospel and then you'll read some letters and then you'll read another gospel and, and Acts and some letters. So, and you kind of go through it that way so you aren't reading all through the gospels and then you're done with them for the year and then you're just reading through the letters. So we kind of move things around to... Uh, try to uh, not do everything all at once, but uh, to have a mix of that during the year. So again, hopefully you will sign up uh, for that. And each month, we will be charting our progress. At the end of each month, we'll give you uh, some type of sheet that you can relate how you're doing, how many scriptures you've read, and then we can begin to fill up that uh, black poster out there with light as we are reading God's word. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We just again invite your presence in a special way. To fill our hearts, to open 
us up to what you would speak to us this morning. May we just be open vessels that we might receive something this morning that might speak to us in the way we need to be spoken to and change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. We are in the final chapter of 1 Corinthians. It doesn't quite seem possible that we are, are closing out our, our study of this letter. Um, but Paul has had many good things to speak here as he comes into this final chapter and kind of the, the wrap-up of his letter. There was a, a cartoon in Leadership Magazine. And a pastor is standing in a very large sanctuary speaking to a very sparse congregation. And he's saying, God calls us to evangelism. The bank that holds our mortgage has mentioned it too. <laughs> that kind of covers a little bit of what Paul is saying, not only in terms of the work of the church, but also the practical matter of money. The title of the message this morning is God's Work Done in God's Way. And it's actually the first part of a fairly well-known quote from the missionary Hudson Taylor. And the full quote is, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. In other words, if we're doing God's work and we're doing it the way we're supposed to be doing it, the way he's called us to do it, that should be, there should be no shortage of resources, either financial or otherwise. As a missionary to China for many years, I'm sure Taylor's quote was put to the test many times. As I said, this morning's text is the conclusion of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, at least the first letter that we have record of. And in this letter, he has addressed many things. He has addressed divisions in the church. He's addressed open sin in the church. He's, he's given directions on the godly use of our freedom so that we are blessings to one another and not stumbling blocks. He's talked about proper worship and the Lord's Supper and about the use of spiritual gifts within the body. In chapter 3, of course, he's given us that wonderful description of love. And then in chapter 15, which we studied for two weeks, he's made a case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and also the resurrection that will be ours as a result of Jesus' resurrection. But now he wraps up this letter and gives the Corinthians his final thoughts. And he turns to very, two very practical matters. In fact, he moves right from the resurrection to the discussion of financial giving. Proving once and for all what many people think, that churches and pastors are just out for your money. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. It would be very easy to just kind of gloss over Paul's concluding remarks here. He, he's talking about a, a collection for God's people in Jerusalem. He's talking about his, his travel plans. He has instructions regarding Timothy and Apollos. And then some, some brief instructions and final greetings. We could just simply regard those as something personal, personal matters that really don't have any relevance to us. But I think if we look at this chapter more closely, we find some important principles on how we as a church can accomplish God's work in God's way. And Paul begins with the support of the church. 
Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were going through persecution and, and tough financial times. So Paul was encouraging the churches, the, the new churches and the believers there who are predominantly Gentiles to take up a collection to go back to Jerusalem. The, the collection was not just from the Corinthians, he mentions the Galatian churches as well. This offering would not just care for the needs of the Jews back in Jerusalem, it would also help to unite the church, to unite the Jews and the Gentiles. And I think there are some important, some important parts, principles here for giving to God's work. First, giving is done through the church. Paul said that the believers should set aside a sum of money to meet needs, and I don't want to discourage that kind of thing at all. But when we join with other believers together in an effort to, to meet certain needs and to do the work that God has given us, it brings greater unity to us as well. We're involved together in the project. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Hopefully as we give financially, our hearts are stirred to hands-on work as well, to, to prayer, to personal support, and to service. Giving is a part of our worship. Paul didn't arbitrarily pick the first day of the week. That was the day they met to worship in honor of the resurrection. Giving to God's work is a part of that worship. It always has been that way for God's people. In Proverbs 3 we read, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, it's not enough and we don't want you to just start staying at home and mailing in your check. Giving is part of our worship, certainly not the whole of it. Yet without sacrificial giving of ourselves and, and our talents and who we are, something is really missing in our worship. Yeah, you know, the painful part where I have to part with my good buddies, George, Abe, Andrew, maybe even an occasional Benjamin. When you start parting with Grovers and Woodrows, you're really getting serious. Yeah, Grovers and Woodrows, Google it. If we're unwilling to give God a portion of what's so basic, elemental, and necessary in our lives, what does that say about the nature of our worship? Paul says that giving is for everyone. He doesn't pull any punches. He says each one of you should set something aside. Giving is not something that we leave to others. It's not something that we put on the wealthy or, or those who are more involved than we are or in leadership in the church. Giving is a responsibility for all believers. And Paul says it's to be propor proportional, proportional to income. Set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. God is no dummy. Neither is he unrealistic or oppressive. In fact, he's really very financially astute. He understands that if you make $1,000 a week, you probably can't give 600 of it to the church. But you ought to be able to give 100. And if you make only 400 a week, you probably can't give 100, but you probably ought to be able to give 40. In the Old Testament, God had the, the commandment that they should tithe. And actually, there was more than one tithe. And in some years, there were more than others. Those who have, have studied it say that the Hebrews were actually required to give somewhere between 23 and 30 percent of their income in tithes. The New Testament encourages voluntary, sacrificial, cheerful giving. 
And, and clearly, as we see here, again, proportional giving. I don't think we need to be legalistic about it. But personally, I found a great blessing that comes from tithing. I've seen that blessing work in my life, and I've seen it work in the lives of others. If you're absolutely convinced that you can't give a tenth in your present financial situation, then start with a lower percentage. I believe that God will bless even that and, and begin to provide in a way that perhaps you can increase that. One thing I am sure of, whether it's finances or anything else, if all that we are willing to give God is what's left over after we've fulfilled our personal agenda, God is not going to be pleased with that. Also, there must be accountability for the gifts given. Paul talked about men approved by the church who would take the gift to Jerusalem. The church always has to be careful to have good, godly people to handle the money that's been given to do God's work and to be accountable to the rest of the body as well as to God for the use of what's given. The second area that I want to look at in this passage is the work of the church. Some have described the work of the church as the two big E's, evangelism and edification, two rather intimidating words that really aren't part of our regular vocabulary. Evangelization is simply reaching out to the unsaved. As I think about Paul and, and, and the, the travel plans that he lays out here, my mind goes back to the book of Acts and the the missionary journeys described there with Barnabas, Mark, Silas, Timothy, and others. All, all that Paul endured, the, the ground that he covered to make disciples of all nations. Oswald Smith said, any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. Let me repeat that. Any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. It's a very strong and a very blunt statement. But if we're not in, involved in fulfilling the Great Commission that Jesus has given us, what are we about? What is our purpose? I like to think of us as part of the evangelical church, those who take God's word very seriously those who believe that our faith needs to be shared with others. But one of the criticisms of the evangelical church is that we talk a lot more about sharing our faith than we actually do. And that our beliefs aren't really reflected in our actions. Edification is building up the body of Christ. And that's what Paul has talked about most in this letter. How to worship and serve each other. How to encourage each other rather than being a stumbling block to others. How to use our spiritual gifts to build up our fellow believers. And that theme continues here in his desire to spend good quality time with the Corinthians rather than just kind of zipping through. You also see it in his concern for individuals in the church and his recognition of their service. We need to continue to teach, to encourage, and to build up those who come to Christ. There are some important ideas here about doing evangelism and edification. There is a combination of vision and flexibility. Paul obviously had a plan for what lay ahead, for himself and also for the church. He had plans to visit Macedonia, to, to spread the gospel there before returning to Corinth. 
We know from Acts that he had a, a vision to go to Rome and perhaps later even to Spain. Yet there was a flexibility in his vision for the future. He recognized that his plans were in God's hands, that God would determine how much time he could spend in Corinth and in other places. In Proverbs 9.16 we read, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. It's important that we have a vision for our ministry as a church and that together we discern what God is calling us to do and, and how we can fulfill our part of the Great Commission. It's also important that we not become too stuck on our own agenda, our own sense of where we're headed. We need always to be sensitive to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit and new directions He may be giving. We need to be ready for taking on the challenge of open doors. In verses 8 and 9, Paul writes, But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. We often see, I think we, we usually see clearly, that with the opportunity of open doors comes the opposition of Satan and the world around us. If we begin to do an effective work, Satan doesn't just sit back and watch. He steps up his attacks. So we, we may see wonderful opportunities for service and ministry and run into a financial crutch. We may see clear signs of spiritual growth. And on the other hand, we see Satan's attacks on marriages and family. Paul was eager to stay on at Ephesus and take on that challenge for the sake of the work that could be done. Are we that eager? Are we willing to step into open doors knowing that there may be opposition that will come as well? Another important part of doing God's work together is the encouragement of and allowance for others' gifts. In verses 10 through 12, Paul shares some directions and concerns regarding Timothy and Apollos. Timothy was a young man with a heart for God, but we kind of gather from, from Paul's letters to him that, that, that Timothy might have been easily intimidated because, because he was such a young man. So Paul tells them to show him respect, to build him up, to be a blessing to him. Apollos was a gifted speaker and leader, a much stronger personality. Paul thought that Apollos was exactly what Corinth needed right now. And he wanted him to make the trip right now with other believers. Apollos thought there was more for him to do in Ephesus. And he chose to stay there for the time being. Paul accepted that and he told them he'll come to Corinth when the time is right. Again, flexibility. We need to be supportive of the gifts of others as we go about God's work. We need to be sensitive to the needs and personalities of brothers and sisters who serve alongside us, who serve the Lord in the church. And we need to allow God to direct their lives, not impose our own thoughts and expectations on their service to Him. Paul caps off his conclusion to this letter with a powerful charge to the church. It's really a five-point charge that is every bit as relevant to us today as it was to them then. First is be alert or on guard. Be alert. 
with all that's happening in the world and even in the church, we can't afford to be asleep. We need to have our eyes wide open as to what's going on around us and even in us. In us as a body and in us as individuals. There are at least five specific things which the Bible tells us we are to be alert for, according to the New Testament. We're to be on guard against Satan. Peter wrote, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. We've been talking about Satan in the class downstairs and not allowing him a seat at our table. We need to be alert to what he's doing. We're to be alert to temptation. In Mark 14, Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I think he would say the same thing to us in our lives today. Watch and pray. We're to be alert to apathy and indifference within us. That was the problem that it seemed to be evident in the seven churches in Revelation, especially the church at Sardis. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. We're to be alert to false teachers. Again from Peter. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them about. We're seeing many false teachings in the world and in the church today. Some even denying that Jesus is the Son of God. We need to be alert. We need to know about those things. And we're also to be alert for the second coming of God, of Christ. Jesus said, therefore, watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. The, the idea is not that we need to spend our time focusing and, and trying to narrow down the, the, the day and the date. You know, trying to decipher the time. That's not going to happen. The point is to live holy and godly lives, to be prepared at a moment's notice to meet Him whenever He returns. The second charge is stand firm in what you know to be true. Actually, Paul says stand firm in the faith. But the faith as he's using it here is the body of Jesus' teachings and examples. As they were delivered to and experienced by the, the apostles, as they were faithfully handed down to the believers and recorded in God's word. It's not merely opinion or philosophy or what sounds right to us. It's not the latest pronouncements from the academic world, the American Psychiatric Association, or even some of the professors in our the and theologians in our seminaries. We're to stand firm on what we have been clearly and faithfully taught from the Word of God. The third charge is be courageous. Paul knows that what he's asking of the Corinthians is hard. He knows that standing firm in the face of opposition can be a frightening thing, but he tells them to be courageous anyway. General George Patton is quoted as saying, Courage is fear that has said its prayers. Prayer is a good place to begin to build our courage up. Fourth is be strong. And the implication here is spiritually mature. 
We're to be walking with and growing in the Spirit daily. Using the spiritual gifts that Paul wrote about a few chapters earlier. Developing the spiritual fruit that we see in Galatians. Putting on the whole armor of God so that we can stand firm. One of the signs of spiritual maturity, I believe, is recognizing how truly weak we are in and of ourselves and acting on our need for Jesus and the Holy Spirit to be front and center in our lives. Final charge is do everything in love. Do everything in love. And after the way Paul so wonderfully addressed the the whole topic of love in chapter 13, it's small wonder that this is part of his final charge to the Corinthians. You remember... The words, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. In the very personal greetings that close out this letter, there are some signs, I believe, of what love looks like within the body. There are phrases such as, devoted themselves to the service of the saints, And they refreshed my spirit and yours also. There are references to serving each other, to mutual submission, to fellowship, respect, acknowledgement of service, hospitality, affection, and genuine concern. And, And Paul's final words, and he emphasizes that these are written in his own hand, are my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. I think like most churches, we probably pride ourselves a bit in the love that we share together. But there is always room for improvement. There's always room for improvement if we're going to follow the example of of Paul and of Jesus and, and of God our Father. I want you this morning just to consider for a moment the way our church is perceived by others. And and what real difference would it make if we suddenly closed our doors? It can be a rather sobering thought process. And I don't know about you, but I'd like the Woodbury Church of the Brethren to be accurately known as a church that is doing God's work in God's way. I'd like us to be a church that's reaching out to the lost and building up the body within. A church that's committed to do both. And willing to make a sacrifice to make that happen. I'd like us to be a church with a vision. A vision to to meet the challenge of the open doors that God puts in front of us as a body and as individuals. I'd like us to be a church that's awake and alert. That stands firm on God's truth and the authority of His Word. I'd like us to be a body of believers who are growing together in spiritual maturity, who truly are doing absolutely everything in love. That's a tall order. And it will only happen as we commit ourselves totally to Jesus Christ, as we allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign in our lives, and as we allow God's love to fill each one of us. How would you like your church to be known? Together, 
committed to the Lord, led by the Holy Spirit. Let's work to make that happen. Will you pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for this, these multiple weeks that we've had to work through First Corinthians. And we're thankful for the passage today. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that truly we would be doing your work in your way. And that we would be pitching in and, and, and pulling together sacrificially if necessary to supply what is needed in whatever area it is needed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.